Peace and thank you, family, for tuning into Creative Habits Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Anthony. And I'm your co-host, Indigo. We're based in Washington, D.C. with leading discussions on topics surrounding pop culture, business, lifestyle, and art with an occasional guest appearance within the creative and entrepreneurial industry. Hey family, we have a very special guest today, Dominic Green, an artist and a storyteller from Prince George's County, Maryland, currently focused on film and photography, as well as playwriting. From young age, Dominic has been fascinated with the duality of good and evil. This fascination was rooted in a religious upbringing and stories of good and evil found in biblical texts. Here's a quote from Dominic. I write, I film, I photograph. For me, it all feels like the same thing. At my core, I am a storyteller. We have a very special guest, uh, Mr. Dominic Green. Um, Thank you for joining us today on Creative Habits Podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. No problem. Um, So tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what's your creative habit? Uh, well, my name is Dominic Green. I was born and raised in Prince George's County, Maryland, right <clears throat> right outside of Washington, D.C. Uh, and uh, I would say my creative habit is storytelling overall. Uh, and I do that through uh, filmmaking, photography, and also writing. Was there a particular event or time that you recognized that filmmaking was not just a hobby, but it was your life and uh how you make a living uh i would say pretty young uh, i was about 18 uh i was working with this artist uh, his name is peter waddell uh he was working on a 40 foot by 40 foot mural um over off of sunderland place in dupont circle uh mm-hmm. creating this this mural called the toy theater and i don't know how to paint uh, so me being involved with the project wasn't so much uh, me being a painter. It was me having my camera and documenting the, the whole process from start to finish. So that was the time that was what, like 2011, 2012. So it was like an earthquake that happened, hurricane, all kinds of stuff. And just kind of seeing his whole process, how he dealt with that and just seeing how uh, a painter creates, because it's, I think it's very different. It's similar and different in in the way of it's similar and different to photography and, and film in a way of uh, it's a creative process, but the medium is different. You're sitting there, you're sketching out everything, you're painting mm-hmm. and saying, oh, that doesn't work. And then you're saying like, oh, okay, maybe this works. Maybe this color is a little bit different. Maybe I ordered the wrong color. So the palette is a little different, but that really got me started in film. Mm. Yeah, I definitely uh, remember that earthquake, man. I was in school around that time. <laughs> it's like the very first earthquake we had in this area in years, man. It was it was scary. Too. <laughs> <laughs> I'd never been a part of anything like that, so it was just because we were like when we worked, we were on a scaffolding, mm-hmm. so. That happened, and it's like, okay, well, the, the whole next week, we kind of got a scrap, because then they got to 
check safety measures and make sure it's still screwed into like the wall. And it was, it was, uh, I say it was a crazy, crazy time, but it was a wonderful experience. I say. Mm-hmm. Um, is it harder? Is it harder to get started or keep going? What is your, what's your particular thing you have to conquer in order to do either? For me, it's, it's, I think it's always harder to get started because uh, in getting started, I think it's finding the idea and finding, like, is this where I want to go in, mm-hmm. in terms of whether I'm telling a story or writing out a story? Do I want to go here? Is this, how does this speak to my soul in many ways? Am I able to relate to this or is this just a, just just some random idea that I might have seen from something else and then I'm restructuring different fragments of things that I'm taking in. And so for me, it's like getting started, but keeping going is also a process in itself. Because mm-hmm. there are days that you really do want to give up or you're like, this isn't going the way I see it going. But you're like, all right, well, you can keep it moving, keep it moving. But I think having a good team and good people around you really affect that, like the process of keeping going. Because mm-hmm. I think you have others that are depending on you. So you can't, and it's not so much about others, but it is because doing filmmaking, doing photography, it's a collaborative effort. And mm-hmm. if your team is like, all right, you can keep moving, you can keep moving. I think that you can conquer any kind of obstacles and things like that. It's just, don't allow that doubt to creep in because I've had that happen. Like, I don't know if I should do this. But mm-hmm. So I, I look at it like getting started for me is harder <laughs> not to keep going because I think so, I have good people around. So what's the process of you coming up with ideas? Do you um just jot pretty much everything that goes on through your mind down or do you gain inspiration from other things? I would say it's a, it's a large part of both. Uh, just having dreams and having like a dream notebook next to you when you sleep. Um, mm-hmm. So many like little subconscious things come in or it can be little small words I write down and be like, hmm, maybe that could work one time. Maybe that could, maybe I could see how this can grow in this aspect. But it's, uh, yeah, I think for me, it, it's also taking from other things because I mean, you know, there's nothing new under the sun as that old saying is. So, mm-hmm taking so many fragments again from just everything that you kind of soak in. Like I like sci-fi. I like uh, pretty much everything, but my main thing, I like sci-fi because it's a, it's a thing of the unknown. It's the, so you take pieces from that and you're taking pieces from the past and you're like, okay, maybe these could work together because I think our brain just puts everything together in some kind of way. So mm-hmm. yeah, so it's, it's kind of both for me. I definitely agree with sci-fi, especially for, uh, you know, people of color, because they don't really portray us in the future or science fiction as much as, you know, a lot of a lot of people like us enjoy sci-fi. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I believe representation matters. So maybe people like you or, or somebody else can, you know, continue to put that narrative forward. Yeah, for sure. And for me, that is definitely a goal of mine. I've always been interested in sci-fi. I think it started from when I was a kid. I saw The Matrix. Yeah. And it's just this whole idea of 
the reality that we're living in isn't so much based in reality. It's a bunch of codes, it's a bunch of all this other kind of stuff. And then you get to this point of kind of, like you said, you don't see us in the future. Mm-hmm. And you don't see us in a lot of science fiction things. You do more so now, but back in the day, it was like, you see like a cartoon like the Jetsons. Yep. Nothing but, you know, white people in it and we don't exist. We don't have any kind of role. And I, I think it's important to show a narrative that we do exist in the future. That We were in the past, we were in, we're in the present, and we're going to definitely be in the future. So I don't know why it's underrepresented so much, but I think that's how things are. Absolutely. Um, what advice would you give someone who wanted to have a life in creating film? Be patient. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. I would tell you to be patient and be consistent. Uh, know the know kind of where you want to go, but it doesn't have to be like the whole roadmap. Just know kind of what your interests are. Because I think for me, that's been the hardest part of my early journey was I didn't know what I wanted to do. It wasn't until I got other projects and things like that, you start to kind of hone in like, all right, I like, again, I like sci-fi. So Mm -hmm. I might want to go into doing just sci-fi work. And I don't have to, you know, limit yourself so much, but just find something that's interesting to you and and be patient in creating that. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to come across a lot of obstacles that you don't intend to come across. But mm-hmm. being a creative, this, you know, that's what it is. But again, that would be my advice. Just be patient and, and look to where you want to go. Find your, not so much a niche, but find something that you really, really resonates with you. What was one of the most important lessons you had to learn that had a positive effect on your your filmmaking process? And how did that lesson happen? Uh, For me, it was learning how to share my ideas Mm. because I, I felt like that was a big thing I was afraid of in many ways. Because you don't know if people are going to like your ideas. You don't know. It's like you're taking your little baby or, you know, and you're like, all right, I got to put you out to other people just to see if we can work on something. So that happened to me when I was first starting because I was, you know, very hesitant to share my ideas because of I like, again, I like doing sci-fi and and stuff that's not seen so much in in terms Mm -hmm. of writing. And I don't really, you have a few authors, you know, uh, about Afrofuturism and things like mm-hmm. that, but it's not many. So you're looking at ideas and you're like, uh, I don't know, people going to like this, people going to enjoy this. But I think if you don't put them out, at least showcase them to a few trusted people. Mm-hmm. You never know what you do have. And for me, I learned that probably my first few projects uh my like going to toy theater i was afraid to even showcase like i wanted to do a documentary because i'm like where where do i fit in in the grand scheme of this project because again i not i wasn't a painter or anything so Mm. all right i gotta showcase to this man like hey i could be useful i could be 
you know, I think this idea could be really cool. We could shoot it like this. We could do like this. And I know at the time I'm really looking at it as a kid, but it was empowering because my idea was accepted. Mm-hmm. And then it's kind of, I got a little backing. So it put a little fire into you like, okay, so this is possible. I could do this. I can, mm-hmm. you know, be helpful. I can get my ideas across and then not, they're not just somebody like, ah, oh, get out of here. Get out of here, kid. I don't want to hear that. It's not any, yeah. anything like that. So it gives you some kind of confidence. Um, so I learned that early on. And, and it's changed me because I'm not afraid to showcase to other people ideas that I have, whether I'm just starting the idea or, you know, it's been, I've developed it over a couple year period. Um, mm. Just being able to be like, okay, hey, what do you think? And not too early. You know, but enough to be like, okay, all right, I feel like I'm going the right way, but will other people understand this in a little bit? Mm. Speaking of authors, do you have any um, favorite authors or books that changed your life? Uh, Yeah, Um, one book uh, for sure by Walter Mosley called The Man in My Basement. and it was about a man like imprisoning himself in somebody else's basement. Like he built the whole jail cell and everything like that downstairs in someone's house. And he paid him to basically hold him captive. And mm-hmm. I read that maybe I was like 13, 14. And I was just like, oh, this is really cool. This is this is amazing that you can take this whole story about somebody really wanting to imprison themselves because of the terrible deeds they've done, but they've been kind of, their deeds have been washed over because the man was a white man. Mm. And I was like, oh, this is, this is kind of interesting. But he knew the sins he was committing. So mm. that's one book. Um, Walter Mosley is definitely one of my favorite authors. Uh, James Baldwin is another mm. one. Uh, favorite book by him is uh, called No Name in the Street. Where he talks about, yeah, mm. it's, it's just fantastic. And, it exposed my mind to kind of living outside of the U.S. and how you would be viewed outside of the U.S. Because mm-hmm. here, everything's so race-based mm-hmm. and not so much merit-based or what you do or, you know, your intelligence. So for me, it was like, oh, so you can leave here and then you can be kind of humanized. You can have your own humanity and it's not like, it's just not based off the color of your skin or you're not looked at as lesser than because of that. And I thought that was just amazing to me. Um, and yeah, those are probably my two. And there's uh, another book I read by, I think his name's David Dita. Uh, it's called The Way of the Superior Man. And mm-hmm. I thought that was I, I don't know, I can go on there. I got a bunch of books, <laughs> but I thought that one was... <laughs> really spectacular and talking about uh, uh, masculinity and femininity and the po- how there's different polarities within relationships to that that's related to that and I was just like oh man that's cool. like, like I said I got a bunch of them um, make me just think about all these <laughs> uh, I, I've encountered and um, yeah it's just it's really so many because I, I really enjoy to read because I mean a, writing stories and things and being a part of storytelling is, is very important to read 
Mm. And not just for the sake of storytelling, but to to actually gain knowledge to kind of know yourself. Because I was having this conversation before of it's hard for our people to kind of know themselves because we've been lied to so much about mm. throughout history. So it, it's so important. Like we do read some of those books by um, Francis Cress Welsing or uh, all the names escape me right now, but just read those kind of, that kind of information to understand like who we are, where we come from, at least dig a little, deeper because if you know who you are can't nobody tell you who you are so mm. a lot of those books have really done that for me in many ways i can definitely agree a lot of our um mind states are molded by the environment and the media that we take in mm-hmm. so it's not like we're being ourselves we're being what other people deem uh push on us you know what i mean um, especially when it comes to like entertainment, when a person all he watches is love and hip hop or stuff like that. I mean, don't get me wrong, I like to shut my brain off and watch trash mm-hmm. here and there, but um, just broadening, broadening, broadening your horizon to 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 create who you are as a person is always important. Mm-hmm. I agree wholeheartedly because uh, it's a uh, saying one of my uh, family members uses uh, about exposure, like mm-hmm. the the lack of exposure that you have, the less that your brain, like you said, expands. Mm-hmm. So if you always exposed to the same a bad diet all your life, nobody's ever told you that your diet's bad. Mm-hmm. So you always gonna look at the world like, oh, I don't know what they talking about. I'm good. I'm good over here. But then Absolutely. you go to the doctor and they like, oh wow, you you need some work. <laughs> you need mm-hmm. your cholesterol, high blood pressure, high, all these kinds of things. And then you're like, oh, wow, I didn't, didn't know that. Nobody told you. But in exposing our people and just people in general to way, different ways of thinking is so important and relevant mm-hmm. because it makes you more objective. Because I feel like a lot of the things we look at are things I was watching <laughs> Uh, this documentary on uh, Netflix earlier, actually, uh, The Social Dilemma. I watched and, that too. It was crazy. Yeah, it was. And I was mm. like, oh, wow, they really, they really, it's really just programming us to see the same things over and over. So you're going to think every single person thinks like you. Mm. But that removes your objectivity because you're not, you're not going to see any deferring opinions. You're not going to see, so there's nothing there to make you critically think. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's like, where are we really going? What are we really doing? You know? Yeah, man. It's like zombies in in a, in a literal sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, you are a collaborator. How have you discovered the members of your team, and how do you keep the relationships with them strong? Uh, I discovered the members of my team, again, through uh, what I was talking about earlier, sharing ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, so like sharing ideas uh, or sharing scripts that I've had or just again ideas that I've had have helped me attain the members because it might not be through the person that I've sent it to directly mm-hmm. but they'll send it to other people <clears throat> excuse me and other people want to be a part of what's going on or what I'm doing or or vice versa I might want to be a part of what they're doing because they've sent me something and 
and we collaborate that way. And for me, how I try to keep those collaborations strong is kind of by talking every week, mm. uh, especially people that I, I work with, uh, like one one of my good friends uh, now, uh, her name's Raquel. She's worked with me on every project I've done for the most part of the thing, the better part of the last two to three years. Mm. And really, it's just because we talk often um, to to keep in contact and to understand like, hey, they, people are human beings too. And you want to see how their life is going, if they need any help. And, and it doesn't have to necessarily be so focused on work stuff or, mm. you know, creating. It's how you doing today as a human being or another collaborator I have, his name's Eric. He's an actor and he he's in a few of the projects that I worked on. And again, it's just talking like, how you doing today? You good? How's your health this week? How's your mental health this week? Because I feel like a lot of times nobody gets asked that. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, you good? Yeah, I'm good. And we go on about our days. And I think it's important that we just check on each other. Because I have one of my mentors. He literally, same time every Monday, 7 a.m., he sent me a message, you know, asked me how I'm doing. And I kind of took that practice from him. Because it was like, okay, you're reaching out to me every weekend. I know you're super busy. You know, mm-hmm. he's like police officer. He's a whole bunch of other stuff. So you're dealing with real world stuff and you still being a black man and dealing with that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. But you come and check on me every day. You check on me and my wife every week. And it's I learned that from him, like just to stay engaged with your people around you. Because we don't mm-hmm. a lot of times because we do get so busy. But to make it a point, like he's, he puts it in his agenda. And it's not just me because we are part of the team that, that helps um, with the church as well. So he's always reaching out to like maybe 15 other different people. It doesn't all have to be, you know, on Monday or whatever. It's whenever he, you know, scheduled it. But mm-hmm. I found that was important that you you kind of have to now nowadays schedule, you know, when you talk to people and and doing that, it, it allows them to see the importance that they carry in your mind and heart and, and vice versa. So mm. that's, that's just how I've kept it. You know, I keep my relationship strong. Community is extremely important in our artistic corners as well as our social corners, you know. Um, community fuels us to create and to, you know, just be loving to one another, you know. And um, I, agree. I definitely agree. Um, so before the pandemic and everything uh, shut down, did you network a lot? Did you uh, go to like film screenings or? So <laughs> yes, yes and no, because I don't look at myself as a real great networker. I always find like one person at the event and I talk to it. So I'm not like a real big, I'm walking around the room, talking to talking to everyone. Mm. But I always find like one or two people throughout an event to talk to. Um, but for me, I wasn't so much uh, going to a bunch of events prior to the uh, to COVID. Mm. I was more so just working with different people, um, and I felt like that kept me, you know, that keeps me networking, just lending a hand when I can on mm. other projects or other, you know whenever people need help because also believe in, you know, a law of karma or reciprocity. If I'm, you know, able to help other people, 
one day they'll be able to help me or other people are able to help me. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm not a big big networker. I'll show up to events because they nice. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. To answer um, your question, yeah, I'm not a big networker. No problem. Definitely the the same way my uh I used to be extremely anti-social, but um my lady helped bring out my personality and 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 help me link me up with a lot of different people. So you know, and every every day is a journey, you know. Mm-hmm. Um I, I'm sure. Well, yeah. No, nah, go ahead. <laughs> no, nah, you good. Uh, no, nah, I was gonna say that that's funny because now you're doing a podcast and yeah. you gotta interact because interact with other people. Like I was listening to your uh, Stephanie Martin podcast and I was like, Oh, it was just real cool. It was a, it was a great podcast. Thank you. Very helpful for me in terms of like learning what actors go through, like with audition wise and mm. everything like that. Cause I was like, I don't really know what actors think or how they feel, how that process should be a little bit easier, you know, because mm. I, I guess it's not always the easiest. So yeah, it was a great podcast, but anyway. <laughs> I appreciate it. I mean, her and I could buy, know so many artists and we're reaching out to so many great people and in, in so many great fields. So it only makes sense to, you know, just have a platform for all of us to come together and, and just brainstorm on different things and, and listen to other people's experiences. Mm, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So um, what films have been the most influential or inspiring to you? Uh, I think I got a good five. <laughs> uh, the Matrix, the Matrix for one. Um, basically, any Stanley Kubrick film mm. um, for me, because again, back to the sci-fi thing, I, I watched like uh, 2001: Space Odyssey so many times, or, or even it's it's horror film, The Shining. Um, I really. Like Fargo from the Coen Brothers, but not just <clears throat> not just that film. I like a lot of their films, um, just because I also like their cinematographer Roger Deakins. But that's a whole other thing. But um, for me, yeah. So I say The Matrix, uh, Fargo, uh, The Shining, and 2001: Space Odyssey, uh, The Dark Knight uh, by Christopher Nolan. Uh, that film. Uh, Inception, Goodfellas, um, Summer with Monica's by uh, Ingmar Bergman. Uh, that's another really, it's a it's a foreign film, but it was it was really just it didn't have all this action. It was just I love the story so much, and I I can't tell you why, but I really do. Um, Blue Velvet by David Lynch. Uh, it's, it's it's a weird film, but it's it kept, it kept me engaged. Um, a lot of films get out more recently. Uh, yeah, a lot of films, <laughs> a lot of films, but those are probably the main ones that I go back to a lot. Um, yeah, yeah, those are the ones you speak about the matrix a lot. Do you see any parallels between the film and reality today? Um, yes, very much so. Uh, I look at it not just from what's going outside and everything like I look at it like we create a lot of our own things in the world. 
Mm-hmm. Like when people talk about, you know, the power of what you're saying or your power of thought, you're creating a lot of, you're manifesting a lot of the things that are within your world. So you can, because it always is interesting to me how somebody can change their whole life just by changing how they think. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a, that is kind of what the matrix is. You're hacking your code um, to change what you think about yourself what you want you can, so you can attain abundance if maybe you change different things about your routine your mind all that kind of stuff and and back to like the social dilemma when they're talking about you know they're programming us kind of to think how our phones want us to think the small things we like they keep showing it to you showing it to you mm. showing it to you but again you can change all of that you can change your whole mindset so i, I think the the world and the matrix are like it, it is a strong parallel because kind of like how they just press buttons on a computer to change the code of what would appear in the real world. We can do the same thing, I feel, in many aspects. It's just, it might not appear like like that, but mm. it will appear. It, that's why I think people always say, be careful what you say or be careful what you ask for, what you wish for. Because if you're talking about this stuff, yeah, I want this, I ask for this, da, 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 and you get it, and you don't, mm. don't really want it, but so then you have to change your thinking or your ideology again. So yeah, I think it's that's how I see it, how they correlate between the two. I think a lot of us are fueling the machine. You know, mm. it's, the machine will be powerless if we didn't put any energy into it. You know what I mean? Especially with social media or even bad situations. When people put energy in bad situations, that's what fuels it and keeps it alive. Mm-hmm. I can definitely agree with that because I've done that myself. Like <laughs> focusing so much on a negative outcome or a negative thing, and then it it comes because you focusing on that. You like, all right, well, I think this is gonna happen. I think this is gonna, happen. and you keep saying it. You say it so much, you believe it, mm-hmm. and then once that becomes that belief, then you you run it off, and all this craziness happen. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, that's that's life. I guess that's. That's that's the power of I think our being. Like, it's the thought. It's, it, it's the quote. I think, therefore, I am. You know. Yeah. yeah. For sure. What pisses you off during a movie? Uh, what pisses me off during a movie is I feel like if I look at a budget and it's like all these millions and millions of dollars, and you can't do something as simple as like have good hair or have a good wardrobe off of something that's I feel like that it's, it's, I don't want to call out no movies but it, it's happened in some films recently um, and I'm just like well where does money go you, you spent 50 million dollars mm. or however many millions of dollars on this but you just that little small detail because I feel like the clothing and, and makeup and stuff a lot of times make the character yeah, because it's like, I guess it's putting the actor or whatever and, and putting the, the person viewing in the frame of mind of what this character is. Mm. So when I see that, it, it kind of, that pisses me off because it's like, again, where did all this money go? If if it's not going to go into, I guess, making this this thing, you know, amazing or whatever. And maybe they tried and, you know, we don't see all the behind the scenes, but yeah, when I see that, I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Like, <laughs> it's 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 funny to me because uh, 
you say you didn't want to call out no names, but um, not once have I ever seen Medea her herself with a bad wig. <laughs> everybody else, <laughs> everybody else. Oh, man, you knew exactly what I was talking about. <laughs> it's like Medea wig is always perfect. It's always great, but everything else is 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 subpar. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's like. Because in that film, the the one that was uh, he about, uh, on Netflix, I was like, okay, like you could have left the man bald because a lot <laughs> of the other roles he just be bald. I'm like, what is this for? Like, and even his own wigs, it looked bad. I'm like, what? Like, what are you doing this for? Like, mm. is it just to is it just to make money? Because uh, I don't. And and you know there are people that that do that just to make money, but I'm like it's still art to you, what you're doing. It's still like I don't know. So I was I was just confused, especially I'm like you in Atlanta. It's so many hair things. And yeah, it's like, it's not, like it's the hair cap, black hair capital of the world for real. You like I don't know, but that that makes me upset. And I'll just see it just in that person's films. It, it's in quite a few other films, or you know, so. <laughs> It just seems like once an artist reaches reaches a certain level of success, they focus on other things rather than what started them off as an artist. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, whether it be a music artist that's like a billionaire now, the music is usually trash, but they might have tennis shoe deals or alcohol deals and other mm-hmm. stuff that they have to focus on, you know? I mean, I respect Tyler Perry. He has his own studios. Uh, he's mm-hmm. officially a billionaire now and he has a great hustle. It's just, once you stretch yourself too thin, what else can you do? Yeah. And I, I agree with that because we see it, I think it's, it, we see it time and time again. Mm-hmm. What got you up there is is what I think will keep you, what will keep you up there, mm. but you focus on everything else. You, like you said, you got shoe deals, alcohol deals, you got deals with now, now just so many other things. And it's like, but that's not what we fell in love with. Mm. And I understand people grow and I understand your artistry must grow, but you're still not taking care of your artistry anymore. Yeah. You're not taking care of your, that main skill set that got you to where you, you know, needed to be or you wanted to be. Um, and yeah, I, I do. I think, I think uh, maybe that's a thing in culture because we, it's, it's so much about getting the money, getting the money, mm. getting the money that kind of the artistry or whatever's being created kind of falls by the wayside sometimes. So yeah, I definitely agree with that. What makes a fruitful collaboration? Uh, creating something that I feel like is a, a wonderful piece of art. And that mm-hmm. both of the collaborators are happy with. It, it's not like a bad deal. Like it's not just one person happy and the other person's miserable. I think it's something that both people need to be satisfied and happy with. Uh, because I feel like if it's not kind of equal in that way, then it's like what what do we collaborate for? What mm-hmm. did we what did we come together for? Did we come together just to and, and sometimes some, you know, personalities don't mesh and things like that. But, you know, that's its own set of problems or that's its own thing. But for sure, I think a fruitful collaboration comes from us just creating the best possible piece of art that our minds could come up with at that time and, and, and space and, and the world. 
There's a saying that there's only six stories or maybe 12. It's all been done before and we've seen it all. What do you do to keep it fresh? Is there anything you do specifically to keep your, your product original? Uh, yeah. Uh, take fragments. <laughs> I think I said it uh, earlier. Uh, take fragments from different things. Mm. Uh, take fragments from... It can be from nature. It can be from your children, your parents. You take fragments from so many different things because only you as a creative can tell that story because it's only your mind is only interpreting things the way that you're, you're, you can interpret them. So I think, yeah, stories are going to, stories are only going to be told the same way over and like, you're, you're going to get the hero story all the time. Mm-hmm. But I think what, what separates that hero story from a hero story that's come before is the creators and them taking a whole bunch of other stuff and, and kind of mixing it and making it, it's like a, a, a dish. You're making mm-hmm. it a certain kind of way. And maybe you can only make it that, that way. And it's not, and that's what makes it, it gives it that little difference. Like, so for me, I like to collect a lot of information. So before I'm writing anything or I'm creating anything, I might sit and read a bunch of books and it might look like he ain't doing nothing to create this stuff. But really, I'm just taking in so much information because like one little sentence in a book might change my whole mind about, oh, this is, all right, I should do this this way. Mm. And and for me, that's just what that is. It's just taking so many fragments and kind of making a puzzle, putting puzzle pieces together and saying like, okay, this works, this works. I don't know if this works. Let's, let's see about this. Okay, that one. And you create something new while it still holds elements because I, I feel like we still like to see elements of things that we know because mm. if stuff is too out of the norm people are like well what is this so I still think we keep elements of that but it's your own experiences and how you take it up is what will create something new that's in mm. my opinion I know one uh, movie trope that I do hate is when there is a spy or a cop or some type of badass person with power who all of a sudden has to watch over kids and babysit them or something like that. Uh, Vin Diesel's done it. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Even even Jackie Chan done it. Like, it's the same story recycled over and over and over. And uh, I don't know, just a a small (laughs) tidbit. It just blows my mind why they don't figure something else out. Uh, I know you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, you do see it a lot. It's like it'd be like the kindergarten cop or yeah, you know, babysitter or yeah. I don't know why that's a. I don't know if it's so much of a thing now as it was like for a good period. It was like the same kind of movie, but I mm. think that's just. I think because everything's so cyclical, everything goes in cycles. They that happens, and you keep seeing the same thing, like. It was a point in time I was tired of seeing all them slave movies. Yeah. It was like they were coming out back to back to back to back. And I'm like, okay, why do I mean they still come out now? And like every two years, because it's like a cycle. It's like every two years, all right, we're gonna put out another slave movie. We're gonna put mm-hmm. out another slave movie. And for me, I can't under, well, I can't understand it. Um it's to keep you thinking about that. I was having mm-hmm. a conversation about that uh, a couple weeks ago about um, a young man, his name is 
Granville Carroll. He's an Afrofuturistic artist in New York. And we were having a conversation. He, he said, I'm tired of seeing death on this thing, like Black mm. death. Mm. And we were, we were discussing how unnatural that is, how that is just, we see it so much. So then after a while, you become numb to it. You're just mm. like, oh, it's like you just scrolling. Oh, that happened. Damn. Scroll. Mm. All that. And the same thing. I think they show us these same things over and over and over again and just make you numb to it. And yeah, so I, yeah, <laughs> I understand what you're saying about the trope of the same the babysitter watching the kids. He ex military or ex police yeah. yeah, he watching the kids. And I don't understand what that is, though. Like, what's the. Because I like to look at the deeper meaning of, like, what is the, the meaning of you having these ex-military or ex-watching kids? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it's, speaking of, of the, 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 the Black death, it's, it's like our only stories that get promoted is based in trauma. Whether it's hip-hop, um, a lot of the slave movies, I mean... If it's a good story, trauma is okay. The narrate, uh, it, it's okay. But there's African Americans who like sci-fi. There's African Americans who, who, or instead of a slave movie, look at Massa Musa, one of the the richest mm-hmm. black African men in in the world. You know, like why not promote those stories? It's like they want to keep us mentally in a space where we don't see anything greater than what we used to be. You know what I mean? I, and I can understand that. And, it, and now it makes me think about why we don't see each ourselves in the future. Because mm. they don't see us in the future. So mm. they don't see you in the future. They're not going to show you that. Because again, like you said, you keep showing us the same Black trauma over and over and over again. It's like, okay, well, they might not see themselves there either. So Mm-hmm. We'll keep programming you from from birth, basically, to to believe this this a lot of these lies. And, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, I feel you. Um, <laughs> on a lighter note, um, we get noticed because of our successes, but we create them on the back of our failures. We learn best from experiences where it doesn't work. Have you? learned anything from your failures that um helped you produce better work yes (laughs) um and i'll say i've learned from my failures more so the team i put around me because Mm. i think in things that haven't gone as well as i have hoped them to go it's more so because i didn't have the the understanding to place the appropriate people in appropriate positions Mm. to create this thing or we just might not have the same kind of ideology and it's too far apart because sometimes that happens you know you might think something and they might be you try to come to a common understanding but they still might be too far apart and that's mm. okay because that's that's just you know you're not going to agree with everybody you're not going to everybody's not to you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> so <sold> me <laughs> um but I think for me, that, that's been kind of the greatest lesson I learned. And a lot of my failures is, I'm not going to say a lot of them, but just 
make sure you're putting the right people around you and you have the right kind of consultation to mm. be like, hey, you, you're going the right way. Or I don't understand this. And you know it's not coming from a place of, you know, malice or it's not. It's They're just trying to gain understanding for your work so you can get your message out the best way that you can or you can help them get their message out the best way that they can. So mm. I think that's been my greatest lesson and the failures that I've had. Mm. okay okay a lot of directors say most of the directing is actually casting um regardless whether that's true some actors have it and some say they need it to make it pop um is that true do you do you cast certain roles before you do you think of the actor that you want for certain roles um, yes, I, I do. Um, just because I think if a role is casted poorly, it's not believable. The whole thing, I think, in creating any of this media is, is it believable? Mm-hmm. And, you know, even when you're telling lies and stuff like that, because it's what a lot of it is, it's, uh, you know, especially in other forms of media, it's telling a lot of lies about stuff, but if that person is believable, you're mm. like, okay, I can I can go with this. I can, and they can be telling you completely untruths, complete untruths, but you'll believe it because it's convincing. So I think I think that's a huge part in, in anything that that you're creating with using actors, even models. Like uh, they just got to be convincing, and and it has to feel true. Because if it doesn't, it's like, okay, well, what are you doing this for? It's not, nobody's going to, I remember it was a movie, uh, <laughs> it's the guy from uh, Twilight, and he was mm. supposed to be like an action star, but for me, I couldn't believe him, and I can't remember the name of the movie, no, it was, but I couldn't believe him as an action star, because he didn't look like one, he didn't, mm. it, it wasn't the, the bravado of an of a action star, it wasn't none of that. It was just like, okay. I, and then right then, because I didn't believe it, I was disinterested. Mm. I know the guy that you're talking about. Um, I think one of his earliest films was Shark Boy and Lava Girl or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a film buff too, man. I, I love my movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but yep, he definitely was. He was the a little boy, mm-hmm. and yeah, I couldn't believe I couldn't believe him because again, it's no, you know, it's not. It wasn't no ruggedness. It wasn't how you see a, a common action star or you know action hero. Who you, I, I I don't believe you. What they say? I don't believe you need more people. That's like that's yeah. what I needed. You know. So I think the only downfall of that. It's like being a rugged actor, maybe somebody like The Rock is. You kind of get typecast. You know what I mean? Like, if he wanted to do a more dramatic role, it would be extremely tough for him. Mm -hmm. But um, I don't know. I'm I'm not sure um, how that would work out. But uh, let's switch it up. Let's ask some photography questions, man. Just a a few How do you get the person, place, or thing in front of the camera onto film, uh, clip, or proper, or paper in just the way you want? 
like how to uh, take the image, like how to yeah, like how do you how do you think of the concept, find the model, set it up the right way or the way that you envision, and just produce the work. For me, it's it's always it's just a collaborative effort. So mm-hmm. it starts from I might see an idea, I might see some old art or not even old, it could be contemporary. Mm-hmm. Uh, I might see art uh, because co- before COVID, when yes, did I go to events? No, but I went to art galleries a lot. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of me would take, you know, again, little fragments from just art that I've seen, um, especially uh, being in uh, D.C., um, you have all those Smithsonian galleries, like mm-hmm. you can go for free and and I can keep and I can go and stay as long as I want to to just just kind of break down what I'm seeing. So for me, it might start with the the idea and I'll see that and then I'll reach out to a model that I feel like can pull off the idea or mm. if Dave or if a modeling agency or a company has reached out to me. Um, same thing, it's still be, because I have like a little notebook full of ideas um, that I may want to do or, or look at and we just go from there. And then once the model and I are, you know, uh, there, um, the makeup artists and stylists do their thing, but um, we start to just collaborate. It's 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 like a conversation or a dance to me mm-hmm. in my mind, like working with the model, because it's it, it can still be more movement. It's more, it's like I'm just dancing around you with the camera, and I'm just capturing different moments that we discussed. But you may have been able to same thing with the casting and and like a, a film, you mm. bring more to that role or to that image than even I anticipated. So that's how a lot of that goes for me. Um, just, just it's overall just a collaboration from start to finish because it doesn't always have to be my idea. It could be a model and brought an idea to me mm. and just let me see a reference of what you're talking about. And I think I'll be like, okay, maybe I could do that. Maybe I'll figure it out, I'll practice. Uh, beforehand just to just to get what I need to get done. Do you have any photographers that influenced you? Uh yeah, for sure. Um might be cliche, but like a Gordon Parks. Uh, mm. I really just watch his work. Uh was it Roy Day? I can't never say his 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 last name. Roy Day Carver or I so one of my favorite books when I was younger is was it uh, the sweet Fly paper of life. Um, it's, it's him and Langston Hughes, and he took like these magnificent photos. It's all these shadows and all that. So I, I was a big fan of just black and white work um, mm. because because of the shadows, the contrast, all those things that you can see within an image. And I just those are my like main two. And then also Carrie uh, Carrie Mae Weems, like mm. her kitchen table series. That was really impactful for me. And then I was able to see it because they had it at the National Gallery of Art, I think last year, the actual year beforehand, uh, 2018, 2019, I can't remember. feels like because of quarantine, time has gotten so long. (laughs) (laughs) It felt like the beginning of this year was like two or three years ago. Um, And like Alfred Eisenstein, he's he's a life photographer. Uh, Ansel Adams, or just a bunch of a bunch of people that really shot in a lot of black and white. And I just, even though more stuff I shoot now is in color, 
the black and white to me, it really it allowed you to see like the soul of the image and mm. so, mm. so or the soul of the person within the image. So for me, that was really I think that those people, those are like my four or five that I really they really influenced me and just helped me to understand. Then they were also black photographers. So it was like, mm. oh, so black photographers are really great. And then I had one mentor, um, he he had looked up to this guy, his name was Tiny, Charles Tiny uh, Harris or One Chat Harris uh, mm. from Pittsburgh because uh, <clears throat> the gentleman <clears throat> I was working with, he was a old war photographer from Pittsburgh. He was born and raised in Pittsburgh and he's an older black gentleman. And um, he told me about that. And also looking at his work, it was just like, oh, wow, this is amazing. And just the, uh, understanding that you might only get one shot to you know take mm. a picture or or capture this particular moment because like um the uh one shot harris from pittsburgh they would give him so white media would give him the worst setup whenever mm. he would go to events so him getting he would get one opportunity and then you shouldn't film them so it's yeah. not like you can take a whole bunch of photos it's only like 12 frames he, <laughs> and so he just getting his one but his one would be the one that would get published a lot of the times over mm. the white photographers back in the day so for me that was all he's another one it's just his work's very amazing and it's just like oh wow like despite all these obstacles that they were facing and these obstacles of you know maybe they don't want to give you the best accommodations to get your mm. you know your shot you still make do with what you have and I think that's just it's big, it's, it's big, and they, they've really influenced my work. And again, I, I love black and white. If people look at my work, it's a lot of black and white. But, mm. uh, I think it's, it, it captures something different than color does. Color is beautiful as well, but again, you capture the soul of something, I feel, in, in black and white, because that's all you focus on. You know, yeah. So. What got me started was um, my mother used to order uh national like children's national geographic magazines and they would come into the mail and um it would have like faces of people from all over the world that didn't look anything like the people from here you know and that motivated my first camera was a like a toy film camera my mother gave me like one of those little baby uh i forget what it's called but yeah, man, that definitely got me started on just trying to show faces than other than the idealistic uh, vision of beauty that's pushed over here. Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. I didn't even know they had children's. <laughs> yeah, they, they used to send it. They used to send a bunch. They had like little dinosaur ones and like National Geographic's like different animals and and you know portraits of different people all over the place it was crazy exactly what is it you want to say with your photographs i like to say that black people are prestigious and, mm. and wonderful and beautiful and all their flaws and all their greatness um i think that's always been the thing i wanted to say most that we are beautiful we not these images of savages and brutes mm. and all this negative stuff. We we aren't that. We we are very prestigious. We're very 
thoughtful, loving, just just great people. And mm-hmm. and I feel like a lot of that gets lost in the narrative of mass media um, because so much negativity is promoted. Um, how we like you can harm one of us, and we can not be doing nothing wrong, but they'll try to dig up stuff in your past, mm-hmm. and that has nothing to do with anything but to to discredit us and make us look like we're animals. Mm-hmm. Um, so I. Uh, that's what I would like to say in my work. Just that we're wonderful, we're amazing, we're special people. And and we should all have the esteem to understand that and know that and, and, and continue forward. So mm, that's heavy. That's heavy. Okay, for the last segment, I want to play a little game. Um I'm gonna say a word. And then you say whatever comes to your mind after that. Okay. Gotcha. All right. Just five words. Um, the first one is self-worth. Uh, important. Mm. <laughs> Second one is <laughs> art. Uh, life changer. Sure. Mm. Third is black love. Sustainability mm. that gets you that keep you going. Mm. Um, fourth is science fiction. Uh, imagination. Mm. Yeah, imagination. And the last one is creativity. Empowering. I think creativity is empowering. Mm. I just want to thank you, man. Um, do you have any uh, like websites, social media that people can look forward to um, just to check out your work? Yeah, uh, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter. Um, I go by the writing director, T H E W R I T I N G D I R E C T O R, the writing director. Um, you can also find me on this website called The Nicholson Project. I was one of the feature artists uh, earlier this year. I did a, uh, my first solo show called Perception Times Agency, uh, where you can see uh, us, where you can see images of beautiful black people and, and all their regalness. Uh, you can also find me on uh, Vimeo. Um, I'm uh, backslash the writing director. Uh, and, and yeah, that's where you can find all my work right now. Wonderful, man. It's been an honor. I just want to thank you again. And um, it's been great. Yeah, thank you. It was been a wonderful conversation. Appreciate it. What's up, beautiful people? Thank you for tuning in to this latest episode of Creative Habits Podcast. Here is your quote of the day. To one who has faith, no explanation is necessary. To one without faith, no explanation is possible. Thomas Aquinas. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, and have a good day, people. Peace.